It's Monday, September 24th, and this is The Daily Dive. A tentative deal has been reached, and it's going down on Thursday. Lawyers for Christine Blasey Ford have agreed that she will testify before the Senate Judiciary Committee to provide a first-hand account of her allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Ford's testimony is the last thing standing in the way of Kavanaugh's confirmation to the Supreme Court. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for what to watch out for and whether the president will fire Rod Rosenstein. Next, school districts across the country are modernizing school dress codes, signaling the end to standards that have been around for a long time. After backlash to dress codes are sexist and unfairly target girls, some schools are beginning to allow spaghetti straps, midriff-bearing shirts, miniskirts, and short shorts. Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios, joins us for the new school dress code. Just make sure you're wearing a bottom, a top, shoes, and covering those private parts. Finally, let me introduce you to the helicopter parents of 2018, the lawnmower parent. These are parents that mow down all of a child's challenges, discomforts, and struggles, leaving them ill-equipped to deal with the real stuff once they become adults. Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, joins us to discuss this new parent label. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I want to listen to her, but I'm being honest with you and everybody else. What do you expect me to do? You can't bring it in a criminal court. You would never sue civilly. You couldn't even get a warrant. What am I supposed to do? Go ahead and ruin this guy's life based on an accusation. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Christine Blasey Ford will be testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee on Thursday now, they've said. She had a list of demands. The Senate came to the table with a few of them, not all of them. What do we know about what is going to happen on Thursday? We're going to hear Christine Blasey Ford, in her own words, talk about what she alleges was a sexual assault committed by Brett Kavanaugh when they were in high school. Expect this to be one of the most explosive testimonies we've seen on Capitol Hill in years, and it's creating quite a bit of nervousness among Republicans. They had thought that they would usher this Kavanaugh nomination through with little drama, that the Democrats would make a bunch of noise, but they would quickly have him on the court in time for the October session to begin. But instead, we're now going to see what will really be one of the most, maybe uh, in, in modern history, explosive Supreme Court nominations to be heard in a long time. I totally agree with that, that it's going to be huge. But what do you make of things like Senator Lindsey Graham? He went on the Sunday morning talk shows and saying that her testimony is not going to change his vote either way. He said, you know, you can't bring this stuff into a criminal court. You can never sue civilly just because it happened so long ago. The details are fuzzy. And he's like, I'm not going to ruin a guy's life based off of this accusation. It seems like some of these senators already have it in the back of their head that they're going to listen to her. They're going to be respectful of what she has to say, but it's not going to make any type of change. It does sound like, and from what we're hearing from Republicans in Washington, that regardless of what she says in this testimony, they will move forward and they will confirm Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. But I think we would be unwise to assume that that's a done deal, even with folks like Lindsey Graham saying he'll vote for her anyway. The politics of these things can unravel. If you'd asked me two weeks ago if I even thought there would be a hearing, I'd have probably... <laughs> 
probably told you that it seemed unlikely, but I think that sometimes pressure can prevail. And if this is explosive as it has the potential to be, and if she's as convincing as she has the potential to be, this could really start to change this process dramatically. Christine Blasey Ford's attorneys have already agreed to the hearing. They didn't get everything they wanted. They wanted to be able to call other witnesses, assuming they wanted to get Mark Judge in there to see, to question him. She also wanted to maybe call a woman named Leland Kaiser, but they've talked to her and she said she doesn't remember any party. So some of these witnesses they wanted to call have all said that nobody remembers anything. It was so long ago. And we believe who whoever, I, I guess the woman said she still believes Christine Ford, but nobody remembers anything, basically. This is one of those circumstances where it's not unusual. The woman who is the victim remembers in great detail being victimized. Other people who might not have been aware of what was happening at the time who just were downstairs at a party don't remember anything specific. We don't all remember every high school party we attended that we didn't think at the time was eventful. But we are going to hear from Dr. Ford. We are not going to hear from anyone else. And we are likely to have now the senators themselves doing the questioning. There had been some talk of having an attorney come in and do it on behalf of the senators. There's a concern about optics and that the Republicans on the panel are all men. It will be an all-male panel if they ask her any questions, but that is not going to be handled by someone we, we think now outside. Another big story that kind of happened over the weekend was this New York Times report about Rod Rosenstein and supposed sarcastic musing saying he would wear a wire to record President Trump just to so people can hear the craziness and possibly invoke the 25th Amendment. He's already denied it. Everybody's saying now the Trump uh, that the president wants to fire him, uh, but they want to wait till after Kavanaugh gets confirmed because they don't want to cause any more mess in there. This is a tangled web being weaved in Washington. We've known that the president for a while now has wanted to fire Rod Rosenstein. He is basically the one in charge. He's the top of the command chain when it comes to the Russia investigation. President Trump wants the Russia investigation to end. And as long as Rod Rosenstein is in his job, it's clear that that's not going to happen. This explosive report in the New York Times on Friday was seen as the type of evidence the president would need to fire Rosenstein. Right. However, we know there was a pretty aggressive campaign within his own party to get him not to do that because the political ramifications for the midterm elections and even for the Kavanaugh appointment would be so bad that it would undermine their ability to almost do anything else. Yeah, I mean, he's just got to wait a little bit before the Kavanaugh appointment finishes the midterms. You know, it's not too much longer that he would have to wait before he can fire him. So why throw any more wrenches into that whole thing. And the other thing was that, you know, how widespread is this 25th Amendment talk? I mean, I guess it was in that New York Times op-ed. It was in the Woodward book. Omarosa went on to the show saying that they would text each other, hashtag TFA to each other, saying the 25th Amendment. So everybody's kind of talking about it behind the scenes. It is an unlikely path to remove the president from office. Most scholars think it was designed for a president who had become ill, maybe slipped into a coma or had been injured injured in a way such they couldn't relinquish their office, but they couldn't continue to control their office. And it's important to remember that it takes more members of Congress voting to remove a president via the 21st and Fifth Amendment than it does to impeach him. So if impeachment is an easier vote to get in, in the United States Congress, and that's still such a long shot possibility, the 25th Amendment being invoked is, is highly unlikely. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me.
a lot of these parents were arguing that instead of just letting their child be and letting them be a kid at school, instead it was really sexualizing them and putting this unwanted and unnecessary attention on their students. Joining us now is Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios. We might soon be seeing the death of the strict school dress code. School districts in California, Illinois, Oregon, they're all loosening some of the restrictions that they've had on kids, letting them wear, you know, different tops. Some of the wording is very vague. And this is all an effort so that girls aren't unfairly targeted in a lot of these things. What do we know about this stuff? School districts across the country are now allowing clothing items like spaghetti strap tank tops, hoodie sweatshirts, short shorts, shirts that allow midriff and wear ripped jeans or even pajamas to school. And a suburban Houston school district is reevaluating a rule that bans boys from wearing makeup. So the big picture here is that this reorganization is largely focused on ending rules that highlight these gender stereotypes, as you mentioned, and put an end to unnecessary discipline and body shaming at school. I went to a Catholic school and so we always had school uniforms. It was I kind of had a love-hate relationship with it. It kind of sucked to wear the same things over and over again, but it also freed me from having to worry about what to wear the next day. You always knew you had the same cycle of stuff to go through. Exactly. And I personally went to public school and in high school we and in middle school, actually, we did have that three-finger rule. We had the thigh-high rule where if you put your hands down on the sides of your legs, that it couldn't be above the very tips of your fingertips. So these new rules explain that students have the freedom to wear mostly anything they want, so long as that includes the basics, a bottom, a top, shoes, and to make sure that the items cover private parts, don't contain violent languages or hate speech, things that genuinely would be distracting or really offensive in schools. So some of the old rules that these schools had, many people argue that they encompassed really vague language that was open to interpretation and led to arbitrary enforcement like that three-finger rule where, you know what, everybody is really different. So it didn't really create an even playing field across the board for every student. A lot of this stuff stems from Me Too movement things uh, against sexual misconduct and a resurgence of student activism. In this case, there was students and teachers and other administrators that were involved in this whole thing and crafting this new policy. As you mentioned, we've seen a lot of these viral videos of parents, often mothers, posting pictures of their kids, often daughters that were wearing a clothing item that would be socially acceptable to wear in public, like yoga pants, but were being punished by the school administrators for wearing such an item. And a lot of these parents were arguing that instead of just letting their child be and letting them be a kid at school, instead it was really sexualizing them and putting this unwanted and unnecessary attention on their student for wearing a seemingly appropriate outfit to school. We've seen them across the board, across social media, and that really sparks this desire to change a lot of these rules so that school administrators aren't running into these issues. Yeah, I would have to agree that it does target girls a lot more. When I was in school, baggy jeans, baggy pants was really just about the biggest thing that a guy could be doing wrong, whereas all these other things really are targeted towards girls mostly. What are some of teachers in these school districts saying about this? How are they reacting to all of it? There's kind of a mixed reaction. Obviously, a lot of teachers really do want the attention to be focused in the classroom on the material that they're trying to convey in school. And some argue that the distraction is with people wearing inappropriate clothing, while others say that 
it is distracting to highlight such an issue of students wearing inappropriate clothing. So the AP did speak to a couple of teachers in California, and some say that while it isn't great to punish girls for being a distraction, they also argue that a lot of these original rules were being really misled and almost too overanalyzed. And so some argue that these rules originally came from a good place is to keep the focus on the schoolwork and learning rather on the appearance of every student in the classroom. And a lot of it's hard to regulate so much because especially when there's free dress things, taking uniforms out of it, fashion trends change and they dictate what people are wearing, what you're buying. And you go to the store and there are only jeans with rips in them. So there's really a few options of other stuff to buy a lot of times. So, so it's it's just a mess and it is good that they're changing them, but it's still kind of weird to be, well, you can just, you know, wear the spaghetti straps and show the midriffs and Maybe they're loosening too much. I don't know the answer, but it's just interesting how the trends have changed in fashion and so must the school dress codes. Absolutely. And I remember when I was in high school, tube top were a really big trend going on at the time. And some students were up in arms that they couldn't just wear what they wanted. They wanted to show to their fellow classmates that they were on trend and that they were fashionable. But some can argue that that would really be a distraction, that there could be some sort of clothing mishap in that situation. But at the end of the day, there was so much outrage of girls and of students being targeted for seemingly appropriate clothing because of these really vague rules. So we will just have to wait and see what this change looks like across the country and if it really does continue to spread outside of California, Illinois, and Oregon. Lauren Meyer, reporter for Axios, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. parent asked somebody at the school to be made available to blow on their child's hot lunch yeah. so that it would cool off faster. Joining us now is Justin Warsham, host of The Dad Podcast. You can find it at thedadpodcast.com. We're going to be talking about the new helicopter parents of 2018. They're actually called lawnmower parents. But real quick, tell us what you do on The Dad Podcast. So The Dad Podcast is a internet radio show for parents who feel like they aren't of the mindset of where everything is puppies, kittens, and rainbows. We talk about the struggles, we talk about the pain, and we talk about it from a, a sense of humor standpoint. I have comedic guests on who talk about their struggles as parents, and then I also have experts who come on and inform the listeners and let them feel a little bit better about their parental struggles. That's great. So it's not just you rambling off about how much your kids are rascals. And it's whatnot. 90% that, but we also throw some information. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a fair split. All right, well, let's get into this then. Lawnmower parents. There's all sorts of classifications. Uh, you can be a helicopter parent, a free range parent, tiger parents, but the lawnmower one is the new one. What is that? We'll build on it from the helicopter reference because that's what they did is helicopter parents are parents who were just always there, right? They're always around. They're involved in everything that their kid is doing. The difference between a lawnmower parent and a helicopter parent is that a lawnmower parent is there and their entire purpose is to try to clear a path and make things easy for their kid to do. Mowing down the adversity. Mowing down the adversity. Any facing. kind of struggle. This came from a viral post that was made by a teacher group, weareteachers.com. Somebody made a post and described a scene that happened. She said she was doing prep work for her class. She got a call from the front office said, hey, pick something up for so-and-so student. And she's like, all right, it's probably lunch money, an inhaler, something that they critically need. And it ended up being a water bottle, special water bottle. Who knows? It might have had cucumber water in it. <laughs> 
Probably did. But it was a special water bottle that the dad said my daughter kept texting me, like, I need this bottle. I need this bottle. He was dressed in a suit, ready to go to work, assumably, and he had to drop it off so the daughter had her special water, despite there being water fountains all over the school. Right. And then they started getting comments from other people. My favorite story was that somebody that shared a story that a parent asked somebody at the school to be made available to blow on their child's hot lunch so that it would cool off faster. That's something that you should be teaching your kids when you're sitting down to dinner. Hey, that's too hot. Blow on it. Or, you know, (laughs) let them, you know, you blow on it for them and show them why you have to do it because it's so hot. That's a basic it's crazy that we're breaking it down, right? right that you're right. saying, well, this is how you do it. Because yeah. this, I, I remember my parents doing that. Right. Yeah. But it's it shouldn't even be a topic of conversation. Now, here's the thing. I will be the first to admit that I understand the intuitive nature of trying to make things easy to protect your kid. The thing that I am learning from not only just my own experiences, but the experts that I talk to on my show is that for some reason, I don't understand why yet, the more you work to make things easier for your kids, the harder adulthood becomes for them, that they don't understand what it takes to deal with negative. They're already finding there are studies that found that infants that are exposed to tablets struggle as they get older with dealing with the negative experiences and negative emotions because they have constantly been pacified. And when you look at it from just a purely biological, take psychology out of it, a biological standpoint, when your brain does not know how to deal with just being bored, there's always something available in our technological world to distract me from whatever negative experience I may be experiencing, that how can you learn to, those neurons don't fire, they don't strengthen it. To me, it's the same thing as why we had to do a hundred multiplication problems, right? To learn your multiplication. Like you had to get the reps of doing that. Now it's as easy as flipping your phone open and your calculator is there. And Correct. Like so with lawnmower parents, just to kind of end this part of the conversation, what advice would you give to a parent who feels like they're doing this? Like, I want to give my kid everything. I want them to have a happy life. I don't want them to feel struggles and pains. What would you say to them if they're struggling with this? Like, I do this too much and I don't want to do this. If their kid is like below four or five-ish, you could just start to make a shift and just reset boundaries because they're just going to follow along. If you're dealing with a kid who's closer to like eight, 10, maybe preteen, then you need to have a sit down with them and say, listen, things are changing because I don't like the way that this is going and just shoot straight with them because they get it. The kids are very adaptable. In fact, I've talked to a therapist on my show where he said that children are adaptable to a flaw. Like even children that exist in abuse, they just adapt to that and accept it. And we think that kids can't handle things. And it's just not true, especially when you're calm and cool and collected and you sit down and go, listen, this is how it's going to be. But when you set that expectation, don't move that bar. It has to stay there because their whole wiring is going to be to try to move it, try to see how far past it they can go. And the more you just stay there and you're going to lose it, right? You're going to lose your your temper. That happens too. even the experts say it happens to the best of us. It's all about how you deal with it afterwards. You don't always have to apologize. You're not always in the wrong. If they did something wrong, tell them what they did wrong. And if you're dealing with with a teenager, it's going to be a bigger struggle. But it's uh, to me, it's that much more important because they're about to leave the nest, hopefully, and build their own life. And so you got to say, listen, you need to start doing your own laundry. You're going to make your own plate and you're going to start doing the dishes and start helping out around the house, being a part of this community. And they're going to push back. But you just say, if you don't like it, then you're going to lose these privileges. That's that's my advice. Yeah. That's the way I would do it. Be tough with them and be very communicative. All right. That's great. Uh, Justin with thedadpodcast.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. All right. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter 
and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.